My name is Stephen Lisk. My company is Lisk Landscape Innovations. We specialize in stormwater management and I am a hardscaper. What's happening, hardscapers? This is episode 215 of the How to Hardscape podcast, where we talk about how you can start and grow your hardscaping business. And on today's episode, we have another I am a hardscaper interview, where we sit down with a hardscape business owner and do a deep dive into their business. And today we're joined by Steven Lisk. He is the owner of Lisk Landscape Innovations. You can find him on Instagram at Steven Lisk. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-L-I-S-K. And before we get into the episode, we want to say thank you to our sponsors, Inlight Outdoor Lighting. If you're looking for low voltage outdoor lighting to add to your hardscaping business, reach out to them at Inlight Design. That's I-N-L-I-T-E Design on Instagram to get that conversation started, as well as Cycle CPA. If you need bookkeeping, accounting, CFO services, reach out to Cycle CPA at CycleCPA.com. Let them know how to hardscape sent you for $200 off their services there. And GPS Track It. If you are looking for GPS tracking in your hardscaping business, reach out to GPSTrackIt.com slash how to hardscape to get that conversation started. And without further ado, let's get into today's episode. All right, Stephen, let's get to know a little bit more about you, yourself, how you got started in this industry. Do you want to give our audience a little bit of context as to your beginnings and what got you started with your business? Yeah, I, w- I would say I got started when I was um, a young kid, about 12, 13 years old. Uh, you know, my dad at that time, he kind of put give me a little push to get out there and, and start my own business. And I w- it wasn't traditional. I didn't, you know, get that job at a... Um, Papa John's or Burger King or whatever. And, um, you know, I got letters. Uh, my grandfather created letters and we mailed them out. And, uh, you know, it started with five lawns, 10 lawns before, you know, it, I had 50. And uh, that's how I got started. Interesting. So you started in the lawn care business and yes. sort of scaled that up. Uh, how was that? And do you still own and operate the lawn care division? So, yeah, I don't, uh, I sold that out back in 2010. Um, you know, just at that time, it was trying to juggle landscape construction and, and lawn cutting uh, was a little bit too much. And we just really wanted to specialize in something. So, um, so yeah. What, uh, what was the draw towards landscape construction and as opposed to continuing to scale that uh, lawn care business? Uh, I think being creative. You know, so I had initially, after I got in, um, I had rolled into one year of college, community college, and I instantly didn't know what I wanted to do. So I kind of dropped out of that and I seen something uh, at vocational school for, um, you know, it was uh, landscape and hardscape design. And I enrolled and it was two of my best friends at the time. And we did three years of that. And, and, you know, right from that, we were hooked, all three of us. We had two excellent teachers at that time, and they both really just mentored us through that entire process, and, and hardscaping was just starting to blow up. Um, you know, I'm 40 now. That was back when I was uh, like 19 years old. So 21 years ago, it was really starting to get big. Uh, outdoor living was, wasn't really anything back then. Everything was called a, a patio at that point. But just being really creative um, really wanted, for, wanted me to quit my current job and take that next step. Right. That's interesting that uh, a college near you actually offered the the whole hardscape. Uh, that's tough to find, at least where I am, and it's not really promoted anywhere. Did you yeah. did you already know you wanted to take that based on your your business, like lawn care and 
wanting to uh, experience uh, like hardscape? Is that how you learned about it or what was I, the, I did it. What it, it's actually a trade school and I can't remember exactly how I got connected. If, if I was, you know, if I was looking up in the newspaper at that time or wherever, or maybe my mother or my father, but um, yeah, I mean, that, that's, you know, I loved the long cutting so much at the time, but I knew I wanted to get into something that uh, was a little bit more fulfilling, you know, and planning, planning and all that was always kind of a passion and being creative and being artistic, even back in, in high school. And um, I didn't want to quite go to college for that at, at the time. And I don't think there anything was local in the local colleges. You had to go away. Uh, Delaware Valley. And um, I believe it's Doylestown, PA around here was super popular, but I didn't have the time nor the money at that time. So I thought this was a great opportunity for me to work during the day and attend, um, you know, it was night school uh, from four, I believe it was 3.30 or four o'clock to 7.30 to really uh, further my education. And I, and I got so much out of it at that time. Uh, can we, yeah, let's pick apart the education because what was that like? Was it primarily installation based or did you get sort of the estimating uh, basics in there as well? Like what was that course like? Um, so uh, most of it, I would tell you, started with planting and landscaping and identifying plants and botanical names. And that was, that was the main part of it. We actually had two different teachers. So we had a horticulturist teacher. And then we had somebody who had his own business, hardscape business, who would, and they would alternate days. Um, so it was a good balance. And uh, the hardscape teacher was, was phenomenal because, um, you know, he really taught us the ins and outs. I don't think we could have started the business without him at that time because we just, you know, we didn't really know anything, you know, and he really kind of got us motivated to get out there and, you know, we've already doing landscape, you know, small plantings and mulching, but that kind of catapult us uh, to get to at least get started doing small things, you know, walkway or maybe a little garden wall. So, uh, yeah, that was that was really big back then. So then what's that jumping off point like where you sell the lawn care business and you transition to landscape construction? Was this uh, a difficult thing to do or did you already have clients lined up and ready to roll for that landscape construction? Or was yeah, there a transition was, phase there? It was a little nerve wracking because you, you have to think you're only as good as your next job. So that's the one thing about the long cutting long care is that, you know, that's a routine, right? Everybody gets cut every seven to 10 days. Whereas like you got to scramble and you got to hope that people are always going to buy. So it was nerve wracking, but I, it, it was the time I thought about if it weren't to work, then, then I would have to find a different career. You know, I said, look, this is my passion. If, if this is not going to work and if I, if we can't maintain consistent sales and, and do this, then, you know, I guess it's not going to work out. Um, but I was happy at the time. I mean, I, I, I can remember the meeting that I had with the person who was purchasing it and I was happy for him and it was a really good smooth transition. Clients were okay with it. He did a really good job of maintaining those clients because, you know, sometimes that transition is not the greatest and everybody, you know, wants us back. But if they needed anything, all they had to do was call me you know, for anything, but, um, yeah, happy we made the move and, um, 
we just had to move on. So, and then, uh, so did you operate your business during the say 2008, uh, downturn in the economy or was this afterwards? Yeah. The 2008 economy was a nightmare. It was really, 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 really hard. And as a matter of fact, I questioned whether or not this was the business I was going to be in in five, 10, 20 years. Um, I remember the long conversations we had just because everybody was scaling back and everybody was fighting for the work. And again, back then there was no really, I mean, there was outdoor living maybe in the lucrative areas, right? Like for us, lucrative is like maybe North Jersey, uh, certain parts of Pennsylvania, but where we're at, um, you know, people are not spending a million dollars on hardscapes, especially back then because they didn't value it like they val- valued other trades, say like carpentry work, right? You know about that. <laughs> So, um, yeah, it was tough getting through it. We got through it. And I think that's when the transition began where I, I got into water management. You know, I thought people need this done. It's a big problem and there's not really an option. Right. Whereas landscape is uh, that's a want more than a need. You know, people ha- are going to wait. They're going to stall. And they kind of got you by the you know what. Um negotiation wise, whereas, you know, the other part of the business with stormwater management, um, that, that always had to go. People had to get it done. So that really probably changed the game for us in that window, 2008, 9, 10. I've noticed this year so far, a larger percentage of my leads are actually drainage work where somebody's got a problem in their yard. Um, is this, is that what your company takes on? Is that what you're seeing, you saw back then where you were taking on these uh, water management projects? And, and are you seeing something similar this, this uh, season at least? Yeah, back then it was, I think I had to push for the work a little bit harder. Um, I have a little bit of skill set in keyword research back at that time because there was no social, there was no Facebook or Instagram to lean back on, right? Everything was the phone book. Or, you know, it was internet search and I spent a lot of money on my website at that time, um, you know, to really help that. You know, we had that conversation. How do we get the phone to ring? Right. I forget back then. I think I dropped seven grand, which is a drop in the bucket compared to what I dropped a year or two ago. You know, so. um, So basically, uh, you know, trying to figure out back then, you know, you, you do a job, maybe you do it for not that much. And, and then you advertise it. And I used to post a lot of YouTube videos and create them on my website. I tweaked the keywords and I kind of got up in the ranks to number one and number two. And that became like a big part of her business at a certain point, I think in the mid, you know, 2014, 2015, 2016, we weren't really doing any hard skate work, barely any, maybe a couple of jobs per year. But we were fortunate because the weather patterns had changed and we were just getting killed with rain on a consistent basis. And um, I really liked the business I got from, you know, just kind of being up in the air about it versus it was becoming a real passion because it was it was critical thinking. Right. You were always trying to figure things out and new and, and new things. And um, yeah, so that that's how. That's kind of how it came about. And then so today, what does the business look like in terms of uh, types of projects you take on percentage wise or uh, also like size of the business? Where are you guys at? I think it's like a little bit of a balance now. It's like a hybrid bit of business almost because I always was passionate about the hardscape and construction and masonry. Um, so I, I basically took the businesses and combined them. So 
most of these jobs we're doing now are, you know, they're, they're getting larger and larger each year, but so many of them have, you know, some of them have wetlands, some of them, they have serious water issues. They're all water related. Most people come and they always have some sort of water issue, but uh, it's certainly a, hi a hybrid business with permeable pavers and, um, you know, wetland, wetlands that we need to delineate with our engineers. And prior to that with soil testing and grading plans and some of that stuff starts six months to a year out. Um, and because of that, I actually had recently en enlisted and got accepted at Rowan University for their in their construction management program because I can see where the business is going and I feel like I can really use that additional knowledge. Nice. So where where is that going to take you, if you don't mind me asking that? You know what? I, I don't know. I think, um, <laughs> I you know... I feel like this industry keeps evolving, you know, and, and outdoor living is massive. We know that everybody wants to be outside, especially after COVID. Um, and that really ignited the fire for everybody. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, I thought, I mean, gee, at a certain point, I'm like, we're going to start building houses here. Who the heck knows, you know, but no, I, I think that I'm going to stay within my lane and, keep doing what we're doing with stormwater management and having this hybrid model right now. And we're loving it. Um, I think we just maintain the course and whatever's thrown at us, we'll just try to figure it out. But um, loving everything at this point. And um, yeah, I guess we'll see where it goes. Right. Yeah. And Steven, where does the eye for design come from? And you know, the, that's the you you first came on my radar like a couple of years ago now you had some really cool uh jobs with antica i believe it was and uh just like scrolling through your your instagram feed lots of cool uh designs but where where does that come from for you is that just experience over time and seeing different yeah. products and wanting to mix and match or have you always kind of had this and this is why you got into the con landscape construction Sure. I got to give a little bit of, well, a lot of credit to our landscape architects that we work with. We have a couple that we really work with. Um, but I think we work all together and, um, you know, I'm really meticulous about the design. And I've always have been since I've started the company. Um, you know, so between me and between the landscape architects, I guess we all have that artistic touch. And I think we all complement one another really well. And, you know, I can bring that stormwater stormwater management background to kind of make everything function, right? Because that's the end of the day. Like, it looks beautiful, but it's got it's got to last and it's got to it's got to function, right? So, so yeah, a little bit of everybody over time, and I probably get that from maybe my mom and my dad. They're both pretty artistic. And then uh, just for those wanting to create a relationship with a landscape architect, how did you go about that? And how did you kind of foster that relationship to to help you? Is it is it them also giving you some leads or is it more so uh, you coming to them for the design? And how did you foster that relationship? Yeah. So, well, I used to have somebody in house years ago and, um, you know, and and as of late, like there's been so much availability on Instagram and Facebook, like there never has before. So um, between that and between, I use a subcontracting service online called upwork.com and you can almost find any subcontractor you want uh, around the country. I mean, there's so much talent out there. There really is. I mean, but 
we have two or three landscape architects that we're really happy with right now. And uh, yeah, there's no, there's no reason to change. But if anybody's trying to go out and start a business now, back 20 years ago, you couldn't do that. You know, you'd have to, again, I used to do it all myself. I used to hand draw, um, you know, started in mechanical drawing class in high school. <laughs> and uh, I used to hand draw everything, right? And, and that's the way it started. There was no, you didn't do anything on the computer. All this 3D technology is incredible. And it's such an easy sales tool. I mean, you put something in front of somebody's face and, you know, it, it, what is there not to like about that? Whereas if you have a, you know, conceptual plan drawings, it's a little bit more difficult to envision that. I can see it, you know, you can probably see it, but most are unable to see that. So we're spoiled nowadays. We're very spoiled. You work hard to build a successful business. And because of this, it is important to work with companies that you can trust, rely on, and whose missions are to give you the highest quality product and customer support. Low voltage outdoor lighting is one of the easiest ways for you to grow your business and increase revenue. Using lighting can make you more profit, add that wow factor, and make your business stand out. Whether you are already using outdoor lighting in your hardscape projects or not, it's time you check out InLight Outdoor Lighting. As a professional hardscaper, we know that you need efficient installs, less callbacks, and premium products to have a successful and growing business. InLight's got you covered. They've created some of the most premium and unique lighting on the market to make your project stand out and wow your clients with their unmatched light quality. It gets better. InLight has an unbeatable customer support team, provides many educational resources like online and in-person training, installation videos, and so much more. They care about your business growth and will be with you every step of the way. For more information on how InLight can help you grow your business, check them out on Instagram at InLight Design. That's at I-N-L-I-T-E Design on Instagram. DM them to find out how to put more money in your pocket this season. Now back to the podcast. Okay, so getting into a leads and a client calls you uh, or texts you, emails you, where do you take that from there? How do you uh, start that conversation? Are you pre-qualifying right away on that initial phone call? Yeah, what does that initial kind of communication look like when a client reaches out to you? You know, that's been the tough one over the years. And I think the end goal, the, the, at the end of the day is not to, you know, time is valuable. You can't be chasing leads that are dead leads and uh, your time is valuable. And we, pro I probably started charging consultation fees uh, almost 10 years ago now, you know, and that was maybe uh, mainly for drainage. And I think I had charged 65 or $75 back then, you know, just something a little bit for our time because otherwise I, I, I was getting eight to 10 leads a day. You know, I just couldn't go on and I just wanted to see it was serious. I was always willing to spend the time on the phone with them. Um, but to, to drive out to each one of these people with your own personal gifts and all that and rate up a quote. So I eliminated that. And uh, so now we have it down. Whereas if they email or if they call in, we take the call. My personal assistant accepts that, gets that. And we have pre-written scripts that they're automatically emailed. So our, a, an initial phone call is set up, right? First about 15 minute phone call. 
just to see if I can give them an idea or ballpark, right, of it. Because some people like, look, they're not prepared to spend 50 grand. They're just not. Um, and if that's the case, then, you know, we just didn't waste either of our, either one of our time. Um, so I think it's good. And I, I, and by the convert, by the end of that conversation, most people are very, very comfortable by, uh, basically set them a, a consultation fee. So it's $250 for a, for an onsite evaluation. It's credited towards the cost of the job. Um, and most of those, I would say at least 50% of those convert because normally I try to give them some, some sort of ballpark number and I'll even, uh, you know, open up, uh, you know, they send me photos. So I review everything that they have. And I even pull up some of their stuff online and I can usually troubleshoot what they have right there. And then, so they're very comfortable by usually paying that $250 consultation fee. So it's not like they're, they're calling the office and we're saying, Hey, it's $250. And they're like, for what, like, what am I getting? So I think building the trust is the most important thing with the client. And it's just going to save you so much time and make you be, uh, become a lot more efficient. That's uh, quite an early time to adopt the uh, consultation fee. Did you have, what was it like in your market? Was it something that nobody else was doing? Or was this something that, uh, you know, it was more like a stormwater management company to charge a consultation fee? So people were used to it. Was there any pushback from clients? Uh, a little like? bit of both. Yeah, a yeah. little bit of both. I definitely getting pushed. Some people were like, look, I totally understand. And they paid it. But there was a lot of people that would get mad. And, um, you know, I, I again, I tried to spend as much time as I could to give them a little bit of value ahead of time. But, you know, I, I you, you have to separate the people. Time is valuable. Um, you got to be paid for your time. But it was very hard back then. But I think a majority of the people understand it because it was. Uh, it was a little bit different than hardscape landscape. Like I don't usually charge for those consults. Like if they call in, I will give them the process and I have a whole packet and process that I can provide to them ahead of time. And then they'll know what they're going to spend. So for to engage us, they know they're going to have to pay X amount of dollars for a design. Right. So I'll usually meet them for with them for free because otherwise I can't really get the ball rolling. For the project, I can give them ballpark pricing. Hey, this is going to be between fifty and seventy-five thousand dollars, or this is going to be between, you know, a hundred and hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars. Here are the here are the fees associated with that. You're going to have a building architect. You have the landscape architect, right? You have this the civil engineer. Maybe we have a structural engineer, possibly. So you can give them all them costs, and at that point in time, they'll let you know if they want to meet you on site. So it saves a whole lot of time. It's a lot of stuff that we can just do on the phone rather than meeting in person where you're essentially doing the same thing. Right, right. And then uh, leads. We talked about how you focus on keywords and you're ranking pretty high uh, back then in your business. Nowadays, do you still rely on that to bring in leads or have you branched out? I know, uh, do you get leads coming from your Instagram? Where are all your leads coming from essentially? Yeah, I would tell you it's a little bit of both. I think they find us on like Facebook for forums and elsewhere. Um, and then they start to follow us and then they start following us, whatever, three to six months and they eventually reach out or they eventually want to purchase. It, it's because, you know, five years ago, I would say it was 70% online search, 30% social media, 
and then it became 50-50. But I think social media is starting to kind of overtake that, right? Not that people are not searching online, but I think that so many people are more comfortable with finding contractors on Instagram and Facebook. And it's just becoming the future. You know, and you still got to invest in your your website a little bit because I don't think I don't think your social media page has enough on there sometimes. And I think that, you know, you can really build your your website out for the most part and really educate your clientele on the website. Um, So it's still always good to have that website storefront. But if they want to continue you know, continue to watch you day in and day out social media. I mean, people get up in the morning, right? Drink their coffee and they open their browser, you know, and when you're feeding that information to them on, on a nonstop basis, I think you're giving them that trust factor that, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. So most people come to us. I don't, I don't have to sell them. They kind of see what we do and they almost know what they want. Um, so that's a good part about social media that again, you had to, bring a portfolio book out to a clientele 20 years ago because they ha- they don't know you from anyone else. With that, do you find there's a percentage of certain types of leads coming better from different sources? For example, like uh, Instagram, you find that you're getting uh, better leads than you are from your website directly or from other avenues. Do you find that there's a better, higher quality of leads coming from different avenues? Um, I think it's a balance all around. I don't think there's, I hear guys now they're getting leads on TikTok. I'm not heavily into TikTok. It's just so much social media. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be, and that's the other part. Like I don't want to be living on social media constantly, um, which you know, right now I, I do a lot of the posting, but I also had that somebody that helped, you know, they help assist with the videos, but it's a lot of work um, consistently. And you, I feel like you have to do a little bit of yourself just because it's more personal and there's the only person that knows it in your business or, you know, somebody that works in the business. Um, so, so yeah, I think that, um, the, you know, the, the leads through it, like, I think they're, you know, I think the you know five years from now that might very well change. I would tell you it might be all of social media, you know, and and websites might be somewhat obsolete. When you schedule that initial consultation, what happens on that initial consultation? What are you bringing with you? Are you uh, bringing anything with you, or what kind of questions are you asking that client mm-hmm. to see what might go into that space, what might not mm-hmm. go into that space, uh, <laughs> and are you asking any questions to learn a little bit more about the client? What happens on that initial consultation for you? Well, like I said, on the phone call, I think we talk about a lot. You know, sometimes these phone calls could go 30 to 45 minutes long if they're really about landscape construction. So I send them a formal email with my proposal, with all my subs, engineers, landscape architects. And when they do engage us and then I go out there, We'll walk through because we still want to walk through and I and I and I still want them to tell me, like, what are your goals? Right. Um, what type of materials are you looking to use? Obviously, stormwater management is always like a big thing. What we're going to need to do address that. Um, you know, it, it's it's really the basics. Right. 
when you go out there. And then at that point, I think they give you a little bit of, of leeway to say like, look, hey, Steve, I'm trusting you. So I go out there, I take some brief, you know, couple measurements, right? Property survey mostly tells you everything. Uh, I take video, I take photos, and then I have them always send me inspiration because I really think that helps us guide it and almost nail it the very first time. So most of the time they're going to send me anywhere from 10 to 20 photos of what things that they have seen on the internet that they really, really, really love. And that helps guide us. Uh, it just to kind of stay on track because, you know, you don't want to go through all of that work of designing something and then you're just off, you know, you got to design it. So that's really helped us out is uh, having them send them some inspiration. So we're on the same page. I like that idea. And uh, do most people follow through with that? Have you had any friction in that process or do most people kind of know where to find that inspiration and send it off to you? No, everybody's pretty great about it. Um, you know, nobody's really pushing back because they're so excited about the project. Yeah. So it's not like they're like, oh, I got to do this. It's, hey, like, look, we're going to make a killer space in the backyard. Like if you can just, I mean, they don't have to send me 10 to 20 photos. I mean, I can just run with it. But I mean, they send me one, two or three. I mean, that's fine. But I, half of them are just blown away. Um, you know, and there's always tweaks, you know, I got a client now we're making a couple of tweaks. I mean, we were always 75 to 80 on point and there's might be adjustments with the outdoor grilling station or the pavilion or the size of the pavilion or the cut, you know, the colors of it. Um, the big part is you want to make sure they're not exceeding impervious coverage. I don't know if that's a big thing in your area. You know, a lot of these lots are, are small that we're working in. So it depends. Some of them are 32, 35%, 40%. And if you exceed that, you have to go through a whole variance. And it's just a pain in the butt. So they're the, they're the big things to stay with. And we want to make sure we're in line and we're not, a, you know, building this whole space that, um, you know, it, it's not really what they're looking for or it doesn't comply with the township requirements. I just want to take a break from today's episode to talk about our sponsor, Cycle CPA. You may have a CRM or project management software in place, but what data are you using to ensure your estimating is accurate? Having a proper accounting setup and accurate bookkeeping done is key to understanding overhead expenses and other costs that must be recouped in your estimates. Cycle CPA is a remote bookkeeping and CFO firm that helps to connect the dots from the financial reports to the hardscape and landscape data needed in order to reach high profits. They provide landscape and hardscape industry benchmarking, job costing financials by service line, advisory meetings, and much more. Cycle CPA's team of accountants are specialized within the hardscape and landscape industry, and you can visit them at CycleCPA.com and for $200 off, mention the How to Hardscape podcast. Now back to our episode. Sorry, I had multiple questions just pop up in my head there from what you said, and now I've got my brain scrambled a bit. Uh, I, I like the idea of the client sending you inspiration. I don't know why I haven't done that. Usually I ask questions and I send them photos based on what they're asking, but I, I feel like that would get them really excited, right? If they're yeah. going out, finding the inspiration and, and getting them really jazzed up to, to get their space done by you, right? 
Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it's big. I think that otherwise, I mean, you know, I, I, again, I, we always pretty much nail it. But I think if we're kind of on the same page, like let me give an example. We I had one client. He really sent me, my goodness, probably 100 photos. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, all right, that's a lot. Well, it's good, though. And, you know, we got all of them and we collaborated and the architect got back and he's like, look, it sent him this mock-up on um, SketchUp. And what do you think? And we, we want, I said, I think it's awesome. I think he's going to love it. So we finished it up and, you know, he, the customer just emailed me back like instantly, like you pretty much nailed everything that I had right from the bat. And, th and that's why it's important because otherwise we might not have designed something like that, right? And it's not a big deal if we have to go back to the drawing board, but I think it just saves everybody a little bit of time if you get that inspiration. I, I feel like it gives them a little bit uh, more, like they feel like they're collaborating with you, right? And it gives them exactly. a little bit more ownership of what's going All on. All about the process, you know, make it, make, it, make it fun and interesting. It doesn't gotta be, you know, and, and that's the thing. Like I think people, you know, if they're gonna be spending this much money, you wanna make it a fun process. From beginning to start, involve them. I've, I remember the question I was going to ask based on lot size. You're saying smaller lots. Uh, does that mean you're dealing with tighter access projects quite often if you're going into <laughs> the backyard? Or what does that look like for you? Oh, yeah. Our access. I wish I had, you know, some of these jobs on inside. see people working with, you know, acre lots. And you're able to bring in a five or six ton excavator and just rip, you know. But a lot of our stuff is small. The, the gates are, you know. 36 inch gates i mean we can take parts of the fence down but uh some some of the equipment bigger stuff would be more of a hassle to be in that backyard and it wouldn't be efficient it's a lot you know you probably see our stuff we got the ditch witch the sk 1050 that's been a, an incredible machine the last six or seven years um we bought our mini excavator back in the pandemic that's been great i was going back and forth about a bigger machine and a smaller machine i think it's right in the middle it does everything and anything, you know, if we need to excavate and do French drains and drainage, no problem. Uh, we can throw it on a trailer with our mini skid, no problem. Um, you know, if we need to do a, a, a larger hardscape construction, you know, and I mean larger, I don't know, maybe a thousand square feet. And that's really not that large. It's great. Uh, you can just do everything and anything with it. Um, so our, a lot of our equipment is compact. You know, I thought about purchasing bigger, larger equipment. Honestly, we have a Caterpillar 249D and then we barely ever use it. Uh, you know, we have it to move pallets and, and do a couple of things, but it, it sits more than anything. And we had thought about maybe getting rid of that and buying another ditch, which, which I think we're going to. Uh, that's at least for our jobs. I mean, if you have wide open access, then it probably doesn't make sense. But, you know, the goal is to, to minimize the manual labor, right? To be efficient, to not kill your guys out there. And, um, you know, I think that's the goal. So we'll definitely get back to talking about equipment a little bit more. But uh, when you do sign up a client to a project, what does your payment structure typically look like? Do you have a set payment plan that you set people up on, like a down payment percentage? progress payments and then end payment what do you leave for the end payment percentage or does it vary from project to project for you yeah anything under like 10 or fifteen thousand dollars i'll usually do um 15 50 down 
and then 50% upon completion, because we're going to get done the job pretty quick, you know, whether that's a couple of days, two, three days, but larger projects, you know, anything over 20 or 25 K will usually break it down into thirds or quarters. Um, always 25% down and then usually another 25% upon, you know, 14 days prior to a project start date. And then we'll do another payment, 25% midpoint project midpoint. And then we'll usually do, sometimes we break up the last two payments depending on the size of the job, but usually it's, uh, 25% upon completion. So then my next question, usually people have answers uh, regarding payments for this one. But my next question is a horror story that you've experienced in business there. Uh, <laughs> the reason why I asked this is uh, just to help those just starting out or wanting to get into contracting. What can and possibly could happen, whether that's something that happened on a job site, whether that's something dealing with a client or getting payment. Uh, but Stephen, do you have a, uh, a horror story? in your time in business that you'd want to share? I don't think any horror stories. I think there's little things to learn though, right? I mean, you make mistakes. I mean, I think your contract's so important, right? You need to get an attorney to draft your contract and be very specific. But I think if you don't have a clear-cut contract, you're going to run into a lot of problems, whether that's change orders um, or just misunderstandings about scope of work. You want to avoid that, but no major ones. It's all been things that were misunderstood, whether it be the contract, and we've cleaned that up over the years. And we really haven't had any issues because anything we're very transparent up front, or I'm upfront with mostly everybody. And if there's a change order, um, I have a client signed it. You know, first we we stop the work, we talk about it, um, and then we basically, you know, I'll draw uh, an updated proposal and I'll add it. And usually we're all on the same page. But, you know, years ago, when you kind of fly by the seat of your pants, maybe 15 years ago, and you don't have all that language in there, there's a lot that could go wrong. There's a real lot that could go wrong, as you know. But now I don't have anything major. I don't. I, I'm real lucky about that. But, um, yeah, I would say to avoid those major issues, get your contract update. Can I ask you, what's the biggest thing you've added to your, to your contract over the years or something that's come up on uh, potentially with a client or on the job site that made you add it to the contract or something that you've heard online yep. from somebody that you wanted to add to the contract? Yeah, I mean, change orders are always one of the big things. You always try to avoid it, like being upfront and honest with people from the get-go, but there's just sometimes you don't know what things that you're going to run with, whether they're unforeseen. So I'll try to go through that with the client ahead of time, ahead of time before we start it and saying, hey, look, we're going, you know, I don't know what's going to be down there when we dig down. We might have to, let me give an example, waterproof the foundation wall. But be prepared. There might be a cost and the cost might be between this and this. So I always give them a heads up ahead of time. So it's not like I get out there, oh, surprise. Now you have to spend more money because I don't feel, I don't like making people feel uncomfortable. And I want them to feel very comfortable when they're walking into this process. So I think that's that's the key to avoid it. And with our drainage business, there's been a lot of things that could arise, um, you know, because hardscape and landscaping are really straightforward, right? You do the work, you're done. Uh, with water management, there's a lot of things that you have to look at with unforeseen rain events, hurricanes. A lot of that stuff was added over over time. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, 
get your get your attorney involved. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. And uh, I like to ask this question to everybody that comes on and feel free to take it wherever you want. We've already kind of touched on it with equipment there. But do you have any equipment tool purchases that you've made uh, recently or in the past that have really changed your business or tools and equipment purchases that you're going to make in the near future that has really changed your business or uh, expanding upon that installation practices that you live by that you uh, really love on site? Anything that you want to talk about there, equipment installation practices really yeah so i would tell you <laughs> i wish i bought it 10 years ago but um it was a jeremy from j square i found him probably maybe three four years ago and i seen that he was using the Canicom buggy and i'm like oh my god that's a swivel buggy how incredible is that i gotta have that so that's been a big game changer because i think that it has eliminated wheelbarrows for most projects um Super efficient. You can hold maybe four or five wheelbarrows worth just in that one. That's a huge purchase. I would tell anybody getting in business if they can afford it and they have the money. Uh, that's a must-have purchase. Um, I've been wanting a tilt rotator over time. Uh, I don't know if I want to put it on the machine that I have right now just because it's so very expensive. I think I would probably upgrade to something a little bit larger. Uh, haven't used one before that looks like it could be pretty amazing and eliminate, um, you know, a lot, a, you know, you're going to get, be able to get into areas that you just cannot get in with a, a typical mini X. Uh, they're the two, they're the two that I would say, well, at least the one purchase that I own right now, but the one potentially that I do want to own in the future. And, um, that's about it. I mean, I think we mostly have everything else that we need for the jobs. Um, so yeah, I want to interrupt this episode to talk to you about GPS track it when it comes to running a landscaping business. The question isn't what do you do, but what don't you do? If it's not a customer that needs your attention, it's one of your drivers or one of your vehicles. But you already know that GPS track it exists to help you know more than what you already know, like the most efficient routes to maximize your service potential like whether or not your vehicles and crews are where they're supposed to be, like how to save unnecessary fuel costs and other costs. And we're going to be covering the benefits of GPS tracking in the future on this podcast. So we're going to continue with the benefits of GPS tracking, but we'll let our fleet advisors give you the full picture. Call 866-693-1291 or go to gpstrackit.com slash how to hardscape. Once again, that's 866-693-1291 or go to gpstrackit.com slash how to hardscape. Link will be in the show notes. Anybody that you've looked to that you want to give a shout out here on the podcast, whether that's uh, inspiration, whether that's mentorship, but uh, online, offline, but anybody here that you want to give a shout out on the podcast? Um, I mean, there's so many good contractors out there. There's so many. I mean, all of them, like, you know, we follow, we fought, all follow each other. I mean, you know, J Square, there's, so you mentioned earlier, RC Outdoor, he does some pretty awesome stuff. Um, I mean, Evan from Pride Hardscape is really good. You got Picture Lake uh, Landscaping is really good. Niagara, uh, him and I actually, um, met up like three months ago. He came to one of her job sites. It was kind of pretty cool. But um, you got Hearts Landscape by 
they're up in North Jersey, but yeah, there, there's so many, so many talented guys out there. And, um, you know, and, and the biggest shout out I'd like to give is, is to my, my father. He's been, um, he's been a heck of a mentor over the years and without him, I don't know where I would be, you know, it's the little things and, uh, you know, when you get jammed up or you don't know what to do, he's always there for me. So definitely shout out to dad. Awesome. And one last question for you, Stephen, as we wrap up here, but it's a big one. What is one thing you know now that you wish you knew from the very beginning? This could be personal related. This could be business related, whatever you direction you want to take that. But what's one thing you know now that you wish you knew from the very beginning? The biggest thing I know now is I would I would I would get into school, get into college um, right off the bat. Um, but again, when I was 17, 18, 19 years old, I, I didn't really quite know where this business was going to go. So I would tell anybody who's looking to get into this business, uh, get into school, maybe um, get a construction management degree or landscape architecture uh, or engineering degree. I think that's really going to help them grow their business, advance it or work for somebody. I think that's the biggest thing is uh, education is everything. You know, without the education, the business is just not going to thrive. Right. Would you would you recommend going to work for somebody first to see if they actually enjoy the work and then start to pursue the education around that or get get some sort of degree, like you said, uh, construction management, which can help them pursue multiple different paths within construction? How, what, what, what kind of advice would you give to somebody not quite knowing what they want to do in their future? Yeah, it all it all depends. I have friends that are successful both ways. I have friends that, you know, went and got their degree and construction management and work for somebody for years, you know, being a construction manager, actually my cousin, you know, he's, uh, has a degree from uh, temple construction management, and he's now just started his own business building homes. Um, shout out to Ted McHugh. Um, <laughs> and I have another best friend. He, uh, he's really, really successful. He does the same thing. He went to college, was working for a couple of different companies and he's killing it now. I mean, it's a $200 million company. Um, or again, like I had started, I was kind of working on my own, right. And going to school. Um, but I do think if I had to do it over again, I would absolutely get in school first, you know, maybe work for somebody or maybe start your own business. It's all how you're feeling really at that time. Owning a business is a lot of work. I feel like if I did go to college back then, I probably would have worked for somebody for the first five years at least, because I think you cut out a lot of that stuff that takes you so much, like you eventually learn it, but it takes a lot longer to learn it versus, you know, you kind of got that crash course with college and then you're working for a bigger firm, which they're going to cover basically everything probably in that first five years. So I think it does give you a jump start, a little bit of a jump start. But look, I mean, it, it worked out. But if I had to do it over again, that's what I would do. Steven, thank you so much for the uh, time to do this interview. I appreciate it. Uh, where, can our, where can our audience go to find out more about you? Any closing comments, remarks that you want to make? Uh, but where can our audience find out more about you? Uh, they can go on my website is uh, www.lisklandscape.com. Uh, my Instagram page at Stephen Lisk, uh, also on Facebook. And yeah, if they want to visit any of those sites or call our office, um, that's where they can find us. 
And that's spelled S-T-E-P-H-E-N-L-I-S-K. Stephen, yeah. thank you so much for your time today. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you to Stephen for joining us for that episode. Reach out to him on Instagram at Stephen Lisk. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-L-I-S-K. And thank you to our sponsors, Inlight Outdoor Lighting. If you're looking to add lighting to your heartscaping business, reach out to Inlight Design. That's I-N-L-I-T-E Design on Instagram to get that conversation started, as well as GPS tracking with GPS Track It on Instagram and bookkeeping accounting CFO services with Cycle CPA at Cycle CPA on Instagram and let them know how to hardscape sent you for $200 off those services there. And we are always looking for ratings and reviews on this podcast because that really helps us get this podcast out there to get more great guests on this show as well. So on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a rating and a written review. I'll get to reading those reviews on future episodes. And on Spotify, you can just tap a couple of times and leave a five-star review there as well. So thank you for doing that if you've already done so. And if not, that really does help us if you would be willing to do that there. And we look forward to meeting with you next week on the How to Hardscape podcast.